I read public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. That's the only books I can read without getting sued. So it limits my material uh, to people that wrote a really long time ago. And everyone who lived a really long time ago were racist or homophobic or sexist or anti-Semitic or xenophobic. Uh, Anything you can imagine, they were it. Because that's just the way people were back then. And they all wrote books. So if anything I read today is offensive or upsetting, uh, don't hold me responsible. My hands are tied. There's nothing else for me to read. You could always turn it into a drinking game or something. The watchword for this episode is futility. The futility of trying to fight mice in the basement. I have killed wave after wave of uh, mice, whole colonies. I'm sure it's as mysterious to the other mouse population outside this house as Roanoke was uh, to the colonists that disappeared there. I'm sure the mouse have eaten mice in my house even left a little sign or a carving outside that said something cryptic that the other mice will talk about for generations to come. Uh, probably wondering where their uncles have disappeared to or their nephews. and They're all dead. I have so many mouse traps in the basement. But I'm not winning. They just keep coming in droves. Uh, other news as far as futility goes. Uh, the malaise that I feel from working from home. Uh, the sort of nihilistic pointlessness of getting anything done and how many naps you take or snacks while you watch YouTube, uh, has only increased now that word has gotten around of layoffs in my company. So, I got that staring at me. So I will just continue spending money blindly as I always have, with no concern for the future, and continue to not do any work. But I will work on getting through this uh, short story by Isaac Asimov, uh, Youth which we will continue now. Chapter 6 Red and Slim had trailed their elders with the experience of youth aided by the absorption of anxiety of their fathers. Their view of the final object of the search was somewhat obscured by the underbrush behind which they remained. Red said, Holy smokes, Uh, look at that. It's all shiny silver or something. But it was Slim who was really excited. He caught at the other, I know what this is, it's a spaceship. That must be why my father came here. He's one of the biggest astronomers in the world, and your father would have to call him if a spaceship landed on his estate. Uh, What are you talking about? Dad didn't even know that this thing was there. He only came here because I told him I heard the thunder from here. Besides, there isn't any such thing as a spaceship. Uh, Sure there is. Look at it. See those round things? They're ports. You see the rocket tubes? How do you know so much? Slim was flushed. 
he said. I read about him. My father has books about him. Old books from before the wars. Which, of course, is just one word, which doesn't make any sense. Huh. Now I know you're making it up. Books from before the wars. My father has to have them. He teaches at the university. It's his job. His voice had risen and Red had to pull at him. You want to hear us? He whispered indignantly. Well, it is, too, a spaceship. Look here, Slim. You mean that's a ship from another world? It's got to be. Look at my father going round and round it. He wouldn't be so interested if it was anything else. Other worlds? Where are there other worlds? Oh, everywhere. How about the planets? They're just worlds like ours, some of them. And other stars probably have planets. There's probably zillions of planets. Red felt outweighed and outnumbered. He muttered, Hey, you're crazy. All right, then, I'll show you. Hey, where are you going? Down there. I'm going to ask my father. I suppose you'll believe it if he tells you. I suppose you'll believe a professor of astronomy knows what... He has scrambled upright. Red said, Hey, you don't want them to see us. We're not supposed to be here. Do you want them to start asking questions and find out about our uh, animals? I don't care. You said I was crazy. Snitcher. Hmm. You promised you wouldn't tell. I'm not going to tell, but if they find out themselves, it's your fault for starting an argument and saying I was crazy. I take it back then, grumbled Red. Well, all right. You better. In a way, Slim was disappointed. He wanted to see the spaceship at closer quarters. Still, he could not break his vow of secrecy, even in the spirit, without at least the excuse of personal insult. Red said, eh, it's awfully small for a spaceship. Sure, that's because it's a scout ship. I'll bet Dad didn't even get into the old thing. So much Slim realized to be true. It was a weak point in his argument that he made no answer. His interest was absorbed by the adults. Red rose to his feet and an elaborate attitude of boredom all about him. Well, I guess we better be going. There's business to do and I can't spend all day here looking at some old spaceship or whatever it is. We gotta take care of the animals if we're gonna be circus folks. That's the first rule with circus folks. They gotta take care of the animals. And, he finished virtuously, that's what I aim to do anyway. Slim said, uh, What for, Red? Uh, they got plenty of meat. Let's watch. There's no fun in watching. Besides, Dad and your father are going away, and I guess it's about lunchtime. Red became argumentative. Look, Slim, we can't start acting suspicious or they're going to start investigating. Holy smokes, don't you ever read any detective stories? When you're trying to work a big deal without being caught, it's practically the main thing is to keep on acting just like always. Then they don't suspect anything. That's the first law. Oh, all right. Slim rose resentfully. At the moment, the circus appeared to him a rather tawdry and shoddy substitute for the glories of astronomy, and he wondered how he had come to fall in with Red's silly scheme. Down the slope they went, Slim, as usual, in the rear. Mm. Seven, the industrialist said, It's the workmanship that gets me. I never saw such construction. Uh, what good is it now, said the astronomer bitterly. There's nothing left. There'll be no second landing. The ship detected life on our planet through accident. Other exploring parties would come no closer than necessary to establish the fact that there were no super-dense worlds existing in our solar system. Well, there's no quarreling with a crash landing. The ship hardly seems damaged. If only some had survived, the ship might have been repaired. If they had survived... 
There would be no trade in any case. They're too different, too disturbing. In any case, it's over. They entered the house, and the industrialist greeted his wife calmly. Lunch about ready, dear? I'm afraid not, you see. She looked hesitantly at the astronomer. Is anything wrong? Asked the industrialist. Why not tell me? I'm sure our guest won't mind a little family discussion. Pray don't pay any attention whatever to me, muttered the astronomer. He moved miserably to the other end of the living room. The woman said in low, hurried tones, Really, dear, Cook's that upset. I've been soothing her for hours, and honestly, I don't know why Red should have done it. Uh, done what? said the industrialist, was more amused than otherwise. It had taken the united efforts of himself and his son months to argue his wife into using the name Red rather than the perfectly ridiculous viewed youngster fashion name, viewed youngster fashion name, which was his real one. That's in parentheses, as if we're supposed to insert a viewed youngster fashion. All right, whatever. She said, he's taken most of the chopped meat. Uh, he's eating it? I hope not. It was raw. What would he want it for? I haven't the slightest idea. I haven't seen him since breakfast. Meanwhile, Cook's just furious. She caught him vanishing out the kitchen door, and there was a bowl of chopped meat just about empty, and she was going to use it for lunch. Well, you know, Cook, (laughs) she had to change the lunch menu, and that means that she won't be worth living with for a week. You'll just have to speak to Red, dear, and make him promise not to do things in the kitchen anymore. And it wouldn't hurt to have him apologize to Cook. Oh, come. She works for us. If we don't complain about a change in the lunch menu, why should she? Because she's the only one who has double work made for her. And she's talking about quitting. Good cooks aren't easy to get. Do you remember the the one before her? It was a strong argument. The industrialist looked about vaguely. He said, I suppose you're right. He isn't here, I suppose. When he comes in, I'll talk to him. You better start. Here he comes. Red walked into the house and said cheerfully, Time for lunch, I guess. He looked from one parent to the other in quick speculation at their fixed stares and said, Gotta clean up first, though. And he made for the other door. The industrialist said, One moment, son. Sir, where's your little friend? Red said carelessly, He's around somewhere. We were just sort of walking and I looked around and he wasn't there. This was perfectly true. And Red felt on safe ground. I told him it was lunchtime, I said. I suppose it's about lunchtime, I said. Eh, we gotta be getting back to the house. And he said, yes. And I just went on, and then when I was about at the creek, I looked around and... The astronomer interrupted the voluble story, looking up from a magazine he had been sightlessly rummaging through. I wouldn't worry about my youngster. He is quite self-reliant. Don't wait lunch for him. Lunch isn't ready in any case, doctor. The industrialist turned once more to his son. And walking about that, son, and the reason for it is that something happened to the ingredients. Do you have anything to say, sir? I hate to feel that I have to explain myself more fully. Why did you take the chopped meat? Uh, chopped meat? The chopped meat. He waited patiently. (laughs) Red said, well, I was sort of hungry, prompted the father. For raw meat? No, sir, I just sort of needed it. For what, exactly? Red looked miserable and remained silent. The astronomer broke in again. If you don't mind my putting in a few words, you'll remember that just after breakfast, my son came in to ask what animals ate. Oh, you're right. How stupid of me forget. Look here, Red. Did you take it for an animal pet you've got? Red recovered indignant breath. 
He said, yeah, you mean Slim came in here and said I had an animal? He came in here and said that? And said I had an animal? No, he didn't. He simply asked what animals ate, that's all. Now, if he promised he wouldn't tell on you, he didn't. It's your own foolishness in trying to take something without permission that gave you away. That happened to be stealing. Now, have you an animal? I asked you a direct question. Yes, sir. was whispered so low as to hardly be heard. All right. You'll have to get rid of it. Do you understand? Red's mother intervened. Do you mean to say that you're keeping a meat-eating animal, Red? It might bite you and give you a, a, a blood poison. They're only small ones, quavered Red. They hardly budge if you touch them. They? How many do you have? Uh, two. Uh, where are they? The industrious touched his arm. Her arm. Don't chivy the child any further, he said in a low voice. If he says he'll get rid of him, he will, and that's punishment enough. He dismissed the matter from his mind. Chapter 8 Lunch was half over when Slim dashed into the dining room for a moment. He stood abashed, and then he said in what was almost hysteria... I gotta speak to Red. I gotta say something. Sorry, taking a sip of coffee. Red looked up in fright. But the astronomer said, I don't think, son, you're being very polite. You've kept lunch waiting. Oh, sorry, father. Oh, don't rate the lad, said the industrialist wife. He can speak to Red if he wants to. And there was no damage done to the lunch. I gotta speak to Red alone, Slim insisted. Now that's enough, said the astronomer with a kind of gentleness that was obviously manufactured for the benefit of strangers and which had beneath it an easily recognized edge. Take a seat. Slim did so, but he ate only when someone looked directly upon him. Even then, he was not very successful. Red caught his eyes and made soundless words. Did the animals get loose? Slim shook his head slightly. He whispered, no, it's... The astronomer looked at him hard and Slim faltered a stop. With lunch over, Red slipped out of the room with a microscopic motion and Slim to follow. They walked in silence to the creek. Then, Red turned fiercely upon his companion. Look here. What's the idea of telling my dad we were feeding animals? Slim said, I didn't. I asked you what to feed animals. Or what do you feed animals? That's not the same as saying that we're doing it. Besides, it's something else, Red. Red had not used up his grievances. And where did you go anyway? I thought you were coming to the house. They acted like it was my fault you weren't there. But I'm trying to tell you about that if you'd only shut up a second and let me talk. You don't give a fellow a chance. Well, go on and tell me if you got so much to say. I'm trying to. I went back to the spaceship. The folks weren't there anymore and I wanted to see what it was like. It isn't a spaceship, said Red suddenly. He had nothing to lose. It is, too. I looked inside. You could look through the ports, and I looked inside, and they were dead. He looked sick. They were dead. Who were dead? Slim screeched, animals, like our animals. Only they aren't animals. They're people things from other planets. For a moment, Red might have been turned to stone. It didn't occur to him to disbelieve Slim at this point. Slim looked too genuinely the bearer of just such tidings. He said finally, oh, my... Well, what are we going to do? Golly, will we get a whopping if they find out? He was shivering. We better turn him loose, said Red. They'll tell on us. They can't talk our language, neither they're from another planet. Yes, they can. Because I remember my father talking about some stuff like that to my mother when he didn't know I was in the room. He was talking about visitors who could talk with the mind. The telepathy or something. I thought he was making it up. 
Well, holy smokes. I mean, holy smokes. I looked up. I'll tell you, my dad said to get rid of them. Let's just sort of bury them somewhere or throw them in a creek. He told you to do that? He made me say I had animals and then said get rid of them. I gotta do what he says. Holy smokes, he's my dad. Some of the panic left Slim's heart. It was a thoroughly legalistic way out. Well, let's do it right now, then, before they find out. Oh, golly, if they find out, we'll be in trouble. They broke into a run toward the barn, unspeakable visions in their minds. Chapter 9 It was different, looking at them as though they were people. As animals, they had been interesting. As people, horrible. Their eyes, which were neutral little objects before, now seemed to watch them with active malevolence. They're making noises, said Slim, in a whisper which is barely audible. Yes, they're talking or something, said Red. Finding that those noises which he had heard before had not been significant earlier. He was making no move toward them, neither was Slim. The canvas was off, but they were just watching. The ground meat, Slim noticed, hadn't been touched. Slim said, aren't you going to do something? Aren't you? You found him. It's your turn now. No, it isn't. You found him. It's your fault. The whole thing. I was watching. You joined in, Slim. You knew you did. I don't care. You found them, and that's what I'll say when they come here looking for us. Red said, all right for you. But the thought of the consequences inspired him anyways, and he reached for the cage door. Slim said, wait. Red was glad to. He said, now it's biting you. One of them's got something on him. Something that looks like an iron or something. Uh, where? Right there. I saw it before, but I thought it was just part of him. But if, it, if he's people, maybe it's a disintegrator gun. Uh, what's that? I read about it in the books from before the wars. Mostly people with spaceships have disintegrator guns. They point them at you and you get disintegrated. They didn't point at us till now. Pointed out Red with his heart not quite in it. I don't care. I'm not hanging around here and getting disintegrated. I'm getting my father. Eh, cowardly cat. Yellow cowardly cat. <laughs> I don't care. You can call me all the names you want, but if you bother them now, you'll get disintegrated. You wait and see, and it'll be your fault. He made for the narrow spiral stairs that led to the main floor of the barn and stopped at its head and backed away. Red's mother was moving up panting a little with the exertion and smiling a tight smile for the benefit of Slim in his capacity as a guest. Red, you, Red, are you up there? And now don't try to hide. I know this is where you, you're keeping them. Cook saw where you ran with the meat. Red quavered. Uh, hello, Ma. Now show me those nasty animals. I'm going to see to it that you get rid of them right away. It was over. And despite the imminent corporeal punishment... Red felt something like a load fall from him. At least the decision was out of his hands. Right there, Ma, I didn't do anything to him, Ma, I don't know. They just looked like little animals, and I thought you'd let me keep them, Ma. I didn't have to take in the meat, only that they wouldn't eat grass or leaves, and we couldn't find good nuts or berries, and Cook never lets me have anything, or I would have asked her, and I didn't know what it was for lunch, and... He was speaking on the sheer momentum of terror, and he did not realize that his mother did not hear him, but with eyes frozen and popping at the cage, was screaming in thin, piercing tones. Chapter 10. The astronomer was saying, A quiet burial is all we can do. There is no point in publicity now. When they heard the screams, she did not entirely recover by the time she reached them. 
uh, running and running. It was minutes before her husband could extract senses from her. She was saying finally, I tell you, they're in the barn. I don't know what they are. No, no. She barred the industrialist's quick movement in that direction and said, Don't you go. Send one of the hands with a shotgun. I'll tell you I never saw anything like it. Little horrible beasts with which I can't describe it to think that Red was touching them and trying to feed them and he was holding them <coughs> and feeding them meat. Red began, I only and them said, It was not. The industrialist said quickly, Now you boys have done enough harm today. March into the house. And not a word, not one word. I'm not interested in anything you have to say. After this is all over, I'll hear you out. And as for you, Red, I'll see that you're properly punished. His wife, he turned to his wife. Now, whatever the animals are, we'll have them killed. He added quietly once the youngsters were out of hearing. Come, come, the children uh, aren't hurt. And after all, they haven't done anything really terrible. They've just found a new pet. The astronomer spoke with difficulty. Pardon me, ma'am. But can you describe the animals? She shook her head and was quite beyond words. Eh, can you just tell me if they... I'm sorry, said the industrialist apologetically, but I think I had better take care of her. Will you excuse me? A moment, please, one moment, she said. She had never seen such animals before. Surely it was not unusual to find animals that are completely unique on an estate like this. I'm sorry, let's not discuss that now, except that unique animals might have landed during the night. The industrialist stepped away from his wife. What are you applying? I think we'd better go to the barn, sir. The industrialist stared a moment, turned, and suddenly, and quite uncharacteristically, began running. The astronomer followed, and the woman's wail rose unheeded behind them. Chapter 11. The industrialist stared, looked at the astronomer, and turned to stare again. Those... Those, said the astronomer, I have no doubt we appear strange and repulsive to them. Eh, what do they say? Why, that they are uncomfortable and tired and even a little sick, but that they are not seriously damaged and that the youngsters treated them well. Treated them well? Scooping them up? Keeping them in a cage? Giving them uh, grass and raw meat to eat? Tell me how to speak to them. It may take a little time. Think at them. Try to listen. It'll come to you, but perhaps not right away. The industrialist tried. He grimaced with the effort of it, thinking over and over again, the youngsters were ignorant of your identity. And the thought was suddenly in his mind. We were quite aware of it, and because we knew they meant well by us according to their own view of the matter, we did not attempt to attack them. Attack them, thought the industrialist. He said it aloud in his concentration. Why, yes, came the answering thought. We are armed. One of the revolting little creatures in the cage lifted a metal object, and there was a sudden hole in the top of the cage, and another in the roof of the barn, and each hole rimmed with charred wood. We hope, the creatures thought, it would not be too difficult to make repairs. The industrialist found it impossible to organize himself to the point of directed thought. He turned to the astronomer, and with that weapon in their possession, they let themselves be handled and caged. I don't understand it. But the calm thought came, we would not harm the young of an intelligent species. Chapter 12 It was twilight. The industrialist had entirely missed the evening meal and remained unaware of the fact. He said, Do you really think the ship will fly? If they say so, said the astronomer, I'm sure it will. They'll be back, I hope, before too long. And when they do, said the industrialist energetically, I will keep my part of the agreement. 
What is more, I will move sky and earth to have the world accept them. I was entirely wrong, Doctor. Creatures that would refuse to harm children under such provocation as they received are admirable. But you know, I almost hate to say this. Say what? The kids. Yours. Mine. I'm almost proud of them. Imagine seizing these creatures, feeding them or trying to, and keeping them hidden. The amazing gall of it. Red told me it was his idea to get a job in the circus on the strength of him. Imagine, the astronomer said. Hi, youth. Thirteen. The merchant said, we will be taking off soon. Half an hour, said the explorer. It was going to be a lonely trip back. All the remaining seventeen of the crew were dead and their ashes were to be left on a strange planet. Back they would go with a limping ship and the burden of the controls entirely on himself. The merchant said, It was a good business. Stroke. Not harming the young ones. We will get very good terms. Very good terms. The explorer thought, Business! The merchant then said, They've lined us up to see us off. All of them. Don't you think you're too close to you? It'd be bad to burn any of them with the rocket blast at this stage of the game. Ah, they're safe. Horrible looking things, aren't they? Pleasant enough inside. They're Thoughts are perfectly friendly. You wouldn't believe it of them, the immature ones, the one that first picked us up. They call him Red, provided the explorer. That's a queer name for a monster. Makes me laugh. He actually feels bad that we're leaving. Only I can't make out exactly why. The nearest I can come is that something about a lost opportunity with some organization or other that I can't quite interpret. A circus, said the explorer briefly. Why? Why? The... Impertinent monstrosity. Why not? What would you have done if you had found him wandering on your native world? Found him sleeping on a field of earth. Red tentacles, six legs, pseudopods and all. Chapter 14. Red watched the ship leave. His red tentacles, which gave him his nickname, quivered their regret at lost opportunity at the very least, and the eyes of their tipped, filled with drifting yellowish crystals that were the equivalent of earthly tears. Well, there you go. What did we, uh, what did we learn from this story, the second half of Youth, by Isaac Asimov? I can't ever say his name for some reason. Uh, we learned that Be gentle with new things. Don't be so quick to destroy or kill it. It's kind of a nice rule of thumb for most stuff. Treat new things as you would a kitten. Uh, Because it might pay off in the end. There really wasn't a moral to this story so much as it was just kind of an inconvenience for the, the astronomers and the industrialists and the explorers and the merchants all together. Uh... What's the moral for the kids? We don't know. Uh, they just were going to sell these things so that they be, uh, could be in the circus, which is their dream. And then when they left, they were crying because they're selfish. So, I guess to try to sum up the whole experience, we learned that uh, everyone's a monster. Uh, some people are going to not have jobs, while the rest fill their fattened bellies with the satisfaction of knowing that they have employment and money coming in. So, keep that in mind as you go to bed tonight. You 
are part of the problem. Thank you for listening, and I hope you listen to the next episode uh, next Monday. Thank you.